Well, I was thinking before the, the last piece of music that Sharon makes me attend praise service. I'm, I'm more traditional, but I'm no longer traditional because after all these years, she has trained me uh, to worship in a new way. And I'm, I'm grateful because, you know, praise services have two things that make them really what we call contemporary services, the music and the way you dress. <laughs> I, I have I've watched and listened as John and the team have evolved, and, and I really do worship. And I do like the idea I can wear jeans. So you've met Criterion, but, but this last piece of music... This, this last, that was pure worship. Wasn't it pure worship? Mm. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And it was just beautiful, John. It was just beautiful. Okay. Boy, it's... I was worshiping, and so now I've got to get into doing what I'm doing, and, and I'm tapped. I mean, that really was a stirring, lifting up moment. I'm, I'm grateful for it. I should also mention, since I'm taking personal liberty, that there's another reason that I love this service, and that's because I sit on the back bench with my back bench mates, and there's a, a special friend that I have back there that always makes me smile. So... You know, when, when you get a smile every morning, life's pretty good. So, all right, and I'm not going to talk about goats, Caitlin. I am not going to do it. She's my buddy. All right. Pray with me. Lord, where the words that I share this morning are part of your word and will, then plant them as a seed and help them to grow. But where they are not in your word or will, then help them to be a dry leaf, to be blown away in the wind, that no one, no one will remember them. In the strong name of Jesus, let it be. Amen. A few weeks ago, my friend Richard, that uh, actually I was in seminary with, so you know how many years ago that must be, shared with us about Nicodemus, and I had some time in the, the weeks that followed that I did what I hope you do. I thought about Nicodemus. I thought about some of those things. And, and, and one of the things that I thought about was this. I wonder what made that very religious Jew go out at night. Because the Jewish folks in Jesus' time did not much like going out at night. They were uneasy about it. And in addition, what made this ruler of Israel, this member of the Grand Sanhedrin, go and seek out a country rabbi from a little-known place called Nazareth up in the Galilee? And so then I pondered that. What motivated him? What pushed him out? And then thought about our scripture today that comes from 1 Samuel, just that little snippet. This is what God says. Them that honor me, 
I will honor. And I wondered when Nicodemus set his face to go out into the night to bring his life of questions to Jesus if he was honoring God. And I hope he was. I figure that Nicodemus was trying to figure out his life. The secret of a life, of a spiritual life, of, of, of why life should be what life is. What is it about our life that makes us who we are? What is the spiritual reason that we are <clears throat> who we are? And Nicodemus, I think, was looking for a mentor, a spiritual guide. Someone that would help him to understand the deeper questions of life. And so he came to Jesus. Now, I also, as many of you might be willing to confess, have in the course of my life encountered people who were my mentors and some that God put in my path who were my spiritual guides. Now, shall I confess, John, this is a truth. I have asked spiritual questions of brown heads, black heads, blonde heads, gray heads, and even bald heads. And I remember one in particular. He was my mentor, my friend, and my spiritual guide. He was also my district superintendent. I looked up to him. He was somebody that had accomplished so much. I thought of him as what a pastor was supposed to be. Started a big church. Founded it. Grew it became the leader of all programs in the conference, was the pastor's pastor as a district superintendent. He seemed to have it all, and, and he was good at what he did. And, and I carried some truth away from what he taught. My words today, his truth, leadership. Leadership should always be the servant of discipleship. And a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ should never, never, put an obstacle before the will of God, no matter how strongly they feel about policies and opinions. It is the will of God that is most important. I thought that he had it all together. I thought everything was so good. And then, at some point in the middle of his ministry, the doctors diagnosed cancer. He didn't quit. He kept ministering. And one time in the midst of all that, asked him how things were going, and it was before a preacher's meeting, and he said, ask me later. There's not enough time. Well, when the DS says stay after the meeting, you stay. So I did. And we sat down and we talked. And he said, let me explain to you what it's like to go through a cancer treatment. Okay, what's it like? It's sterile, it's silent, it's sacred. Now, I get the first two. I sure hope that if God ever has me in the midst of a disease, that, that the surrounding place will be sterile and clean. I hope to God it will be that way. And silent, I kind of get the silent. They, I get that. Kind of a meditative, quiet, okay, I get, but sacred? I got to tell you, my response to his thing of sacred was to say, that's crazy. That's crazy. And then he smiled and he said, you want to hear really crazy? I think that God 
has used this cancer experience in my life to help me grow spiritually. I think this has been a good spiritual experience. Now that is really crazy. As a matter of fact, I had to reach in and find a word that really described what it was, and I had to go back to one of my Jewish friends who explained what real crazy was, and I said to him, you know what that is? That's Meshuggah. That is absolutely nuts. That is total crazy. And he just laughed. He said, nope. In this cancer treatment, I'm having some real deep conversations with my God. I am listening to him, and I am hearing him, and I'm talking to him about my life. And I'm looking for the secret of my life, the meaning of my life, what it's all about. What did you learn? What did you learn? And he said that while he was engaged in that treatment, what he, what he learned was that God is with you. That seemed pretty simple. But he said also, I learned as I thought about my life, I look back over all these things that I have done. Starting churches, leading conference, DS. You know, none of that's very important. What's really important is how you walk with God. And he said, and so while I'm engaging in this time of reflection, God convicted me of, of a knowledge that if I could do it all over again, I would spend more time trying to bring people closer to God. I would spend more time trying to help people find the love of the Savior. I would spend more time reaching out to them to tell them that Jesus loves them. And he taught me something else that day. If you're going to grow your life spiritually, if you are going to become a better and stronger and more devout Christian, you need some anchors. Our first anchor I've already given you, them that honor God, I will honor. He who honors me, I will honor. Thus says the Lord. That's an anchor. Believe it. When your life honors God, you find honor in your life. It has meaning. I heard a man say the other day, his father just turned 100. And this fellow was talking about it on TV. And he said, people ask, how did you live so long? My father doesn't answer that question. He talks about how you live a good life more than how you live a long life. A good life, a life of God, a life of righteousness, a life that is filled with God's presence. And so my friend was saying, you need an anchor. Well, what's your anchor? You know, preachers are supposed to have sophisticated scriptural anchors, something really that would blow your socks off today. You say, what's your anchor? I'm supposed to say to you, here's one of these texts you would have never looked at. But we preachers, we studied that. and we. Uh, 
Not true. Not true. He said, as I was in that treatment, and I knew I needed a spiritual anchor that went with God's conviction that if I'm going to find the secret of my life, it has to be something, something that speaks to God, of God. And so he, he said, I, I, my anchor is this. It is the crown jewel of evangelical Christianity. It is the bedrock upon which all discipleship must stand. And it is the verse that every third grade Sunday school student should know by heart. And then he smiled again and he said, but God taught me this. You can know something. You can preach about it. You can teach about it. But if it's not written on your heart, it's not in your heart. And then, just like that third grade, newly discovering faith youngster, he looked up and said, For God, for God, so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, and then he stopped and said, that's the peace, the whosoever, the God is the lover of the whosoever, believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. And my spiritual guide said, every act of ministry, every act of faith, has to somehow say to someone, God loves you. And when I look at them, I need to see that they are the great whosoever. Whosoever. We moved. I hope that's a Methodist tradition that this church doesn't have to see. But we moved as a clergy family. I learned that my friend overcame cancer and retired. And then there was a moment, went to a, what we called then preacher's meetings. Went to a preacher's meeting and who should be there but, but my spiritual guide. I really thought that was Meshuggah, John. Retired pastor going to a preacher's meeting? Whoa. Then I learned why he was there. He had come to talk about his new congregation. Hmm. The whosoever congregation. Wondered what that would be. Knew it was going to be somebody that he was going to talk about that he saw God's love in. And he began to describe how he had gone at first to volunteer and then just got involved, just totally involved in a special place, a, a special ward, a special containment area that held the babies and children of crack mothers. Think of it little children born addicted. He described children that 
didn't know how to smile, babies who didn't want to be held, children that didn't know how to be loved. And, and he said, they are the great whosoever. And God loves them. And he described how he broke his heart over them. So, something to ponder. Who do you break your heart over? Because if you know who you break your heart over, you've found your whosoever. Those that you break your heart over, those are the ones you must tell about the loving Savior to. And he broke his heart over crack babies. And he went and he begged all the pastors whose lives he had touched to let him come into their churches and plead, plead for people to go and love these children. The whosoever, he who honors me, will I honor God so loved the whosoever. I suspect I neglected to tell you that as in times past, there'll be three stories. That was the first. Here's the second. It's a little different, about a different type of person. This fellow, well, in the Bible, his name kind of comes through like this. He's the trickster. He's the supplanter. He's the heel grabber. He's ornery. He's a critter. He made his brother so angry, his brother wanted to kill him. He had to run away because of that. He stole the birthright, tricked the blessing, did these kinds of things, and now we meet him in Scripture. He has sent his family across a brook to safety. He has stayed behind. It is black, dark. We think we know dark. They knew dark. No lights, nothing. Can't see your hand in front of your face. There he was, the trickster. He knows his brother's coming in the morning. His brother's bringing 400 warriors, and it is not to have a party. There's going to be a confrontation. He's likely going to be killed by his own brother. Life isn't so good. But he spends the night in a kind of prayerful meditation, looking at his life. What is the secret of his life? What is the meaning of his life? Is he always going to be the supplanter? Will he always be the heel grabber? Will he always be a trickster? Is that all life is? To take advantage of other people? Is that who he is? Is that what God made him to be? Is that the secret of his life? There had to be more. And sometime in the blackness of that night, he encounters what he first thinks is a man. And he does what, what might startle you and I. He begins to wrestle with him. Now, if I wrestled with anybody, it would last about 10 seconds. And they'd win. He wrestled all night. He wrestled and he, he was just engaged in it all night. And finally, it's near dawn, and he realized somewhere in the deepest of the night, this wasn't a man, this was God. He was wrestling with God. 
And God said to him in the midst of almost daybreak, it is almost sunrise, let me go. And he says something that becomes the anchor verse for today as our additional anchor verse. I will not, I will not let you go. Now I want you to think about that in your faith today, my friends. I want you to think about it. Write it on your heart. Can you say to the Lord your God in the midst of anything you're facing, I will not let you go. That's faith. That's the secret of a life. I will not let you go. Unless you bless me. Unless you bless me. And God who realized that the supplanter, the heel grabber, the trickster, the one who saw himself as first in all things and other people not as so important to him, God realized something had happened in that night that had changed a life and that this Jacob had discovered the secret of a life. That you hold on to God with all of your strength and all of your might and you just say, I won't let you go, God. I won't let you go. No matter what happens to me, I won't let you go. And God said to him, you who have been called Jacob will no longer be Jacob. Your name shall be Israel. For you have contended with people and with God. But what I neglected to say in the first service is pivotal to this. And God touched his hip. And the text concludes by saying that Jacob, now Israel, now the prince of God, now empowered with a new life, from that day forward always walked with a limp to remind him of who he was and who God is, the secret of life. Write it on your heart. I will not let you go. Third story. We lived next door to some folks at one time. When I say next door, I mean we shared a common wall. Not an outside wall, an inside wall. They were on one side of the wall, we're on the other side of the wall. They were coming back. We came back earlier. We were snowbirds. They were snowbirds. They came back early. We came back early. They came. And Sharon and I decided we'd help them unload their van because he had had some illness. And so we helped them unload the van. That's what we did. And when the van was all unloaded and everything was inside, um, the fellow and I sat down in the living room while Sharon and the wife went and put things away in the kitchen because, you know, that's a rule. Wives put things away in the kitchen that you'll never find again. And, 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 and that, rule is, that rule stands, and so it does. And so I was, in the, I was in the living room, and Sharon was in the little kitchen putting things away with the wife, and, and I said, well, how are you doing? Now, that, that, that's... Dave, that's not a bad question to ask somebody. How you, you and I do that every Sunday at this. How are you doing? That's what we do. And he looked up and he said this, just as flat-voiced as you can get. I'm dying. 
that's what I'm doing. You want to take all the oxygen out of a room? You want to have a moment when you just don't know what else you're going to... There's, what, did you, what would you say? I'm, I'm dying. That's what I'm doing. I thought, like, this is the stupid... How can you be... You've practiced ministry all these years, and you're so dumb you ask a sick person how they're doing? That is really dumb. What am I doing asking such a question as that? <laughs> we talked about the dog... We talked about sports, talked about anything because the silence was too bad to sit in. Finally, I had to make it up to God because I felt so stupid. Funny thing is, is when you try to make things up to God because you feel stupid, God will really teach you some lessons. And I said to him, well, how, would you like me to pray with you sometime? I thought that was a pretty safe question because I added sometime. That felt safe. And he answered again, same flat voice. If, watch the pronouns, if you want to, be okay. If you want to, be okay. See, because he had made it pretty clear that even though he was considered, and he is, he was a good man, a, a man to look up to, a man that, that people admired, his wife carried the, the, the churchy stuff for him. She carried the water in that family when it came to church stuff. That he hadn't done much with, with church since he had been about 12 years old. And that just wasn't his thing. But, but he wasn't against it. He just didn't see any value in being forth. That's where he was. Well, I let a lot of days go by because some time can be a long time. And... I found myself feeling compelled to go over and pray with him. And so I went over and I prayed. Watch the pronoun. I prayed. He listened, sort of. And that went on for a while. You know, I prayed. He listened. And then there came this, this evening. His wife had said that she was just going to have to run to the store for 20 minutes. And could we just kind of keep our ears open? And if anything happened, just... just Help out if we could. And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, we heard coughing like I have never heard coughing. It sounded like, just, it sounded horrible. It was just unbelievable coughing. And, and I found myself going over there, and that's when God gets involved with you, when you finally do something you don't want to do. And I found myself over there, and, and, and God, God really gave me a shove. And, 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 and it was like, gee, why didn't I think of this? This man had spent most of his life as a coach. Have you ever watched coaches? This is what coaches do when they're talking to somebody. They're behind them, hands on the shoulders, talking. I, I, I have never seen a coach yet at some point that you won't see just this. I realized I've been praying from the wrong direction. That the way you pray for a coach is that you get behind them and do what they did when they were trying to motivate their, their athletes. And so that's kind of what God had me do. And I'm back there and I'm thinking and, and, and started to pray with him. And I used to pray that he would be healed. I used to pray that well, I prayed for comfort. He was coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing. He felt like he was going to die coughing. And that was his fear. He would cough so much he wouldn't be able to breathe and he would die. That was his fear. And we prayed. 
Watch the pronoun. We prayed together. And we prayed that he would find comfort. And in that comfort, that somehow the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, would just take away this coughing spasm. That it would just be the Holy Spirit coming upon him and making the cough just to to ease, to stop, to give him peace, to let him not be afraid anymore. And it happened just like that. And his wife came home and said, How are you? And he said, God comforted me. Secret of a life. They that honor me will I honor. God loves whosoever. Write it on your heart. We prayed every day after that. Those little condos you had a little patio out in front. If you were eating and someone walked by, Dave, you know what they did? They could tell you what you were eating and what it tasted like. It was that close. It was interesting. People started stopping. We'd be praying. Suddenly, you know, it's like, gee, we've got company. And they would just stop. They'd be walking along and they would stop. They would see we were going to pray. They would just stop at the railing. And they were part of it because they were just, they were within two feet of us. And there was this sense of a community praying for him and And at one point, he said something that I'll never forget. He said, I I want to believe. I know God is here. I know he's with me, but it would help me so much if I could only see him. Just see him. That was a hard prayer, that he would see God. See God. Blessed are the pure in heart. There's his anchor, for they shall see God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, so that I might be blessed with a pure heart to see God. Let me see God. We prayed that a lot. One day when I went to pray with him, he said, I had a strange dream last night. A strange dream. I dreamed I was walking with Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How different from I'm dying, that's what I'm doing, to I was walking with Jesus. On Easter morning, we gathered in the little room, the little living room. His children, his grandchildren, his friends packed in there. We were going to anoint with oil emblematic of the Holy Spirit. And he witnessed to his grandchildren, one by one, of a God who loves, of how he wasn't afraid now that when death came, he would just walk with Jesus.
how he honored a living God. How that living God honored him. You know, there's a, a saying in script, scripture and in the, in the tradition of the rabbis and his children's children will call him blessed. Some of us are grandparents in here. Don't you want that to be your statement of love? That your children's children will call you blessed. An anchor, pure in heart. I walked with Jesus. What is the secret of a life? A country singer long ago said, the secret of a life is that there ain't no secret. Maybe that's true. Because in reality, God has poured out his truth. God has said, honor me, and I'll honor you. God has said, I love you so much that I gave my only son that you might not perish but have eternal life. God said, hold on to me. Never let go. And I will bless you. God said, blessed are the pure in heart. They'll see God everywhere. I don't know what today you might be pondering as the secret of your life. But I know this. God loves you. I know this. If you hold on to him, he'll never let you go. I know this. Someday, someday, with a heart made pure, we'll walk with Jesus. The secret of a life is when you reach into you and see that it's not about you. It's about God. For God so loved that he gave and we are part of the great, the great group he loved, the whosoever. Someone in your life needs to be perhaps your whosoever. Who will you break your heart for and tell about Jesus? Worth doing? Amen. Pray with me. Here we are, Lord, people who have come to worship. And you've loved us enough to be here. And we praise you. We honor you. Lord, sometimes as we get older, we, we think we know everything. Or we think there's nothing more to be taught. 
And then we find ourselves in the sterile silence of the sacred. And we find you. And we break our heart loving someone else. So here we are to worship. Here we are to bow down. And if there is someone here today searching for the secret of their life, then I pray in the name of Jesus that you will come and surround them and they will embrace you and they will know that you are their God in the strong name of Jesus. Let it be.